Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, it is great to be in the house of the Lord, and uh, it is good to be among God's people and uh, gathered in this place to worship Him. I hope all of you join us for Bible study after this hour. Uh, it's just good to gather around God with God's people and open up His Word, and uh, just want to invite you to do that. Uh, and, you know, I've been here some now. Uh, I think this is my sixth Sunday here, and um, and I really sense God is leading us and guiding us on a journey. And that last song, this thing keeps, whatever, there we go. Um, that last song, I Need Thee Every Hour, it's a good song, great song. Um, to cultivate dependency on the Lord is, is a beautiful thing. Oftentimes it's through prayer that we come and confess unto the Lord. Uh, and, and that's a great thing. If you've seen a pattern here in this Encountering God series, if you've been with me, uh, there really has been a pattern. I didn't make it. The Lord created it in the Scripture, a pattern of preparation that leads to anticipation, that leads to God revelation. I mean, it's just a sounds good. It'll preach well. I mean, it sounds good, but it's real. All throughout, all the Scriptures go back to Solomon. Uh, there was a there was a season of prayer, uh, a preparation that 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 God took the people on as they prepared, and 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 that led them to anticipating and actually hearing and seeing the Lord. Reveal himself in those moments all throughout every every single Sunday. I mean, it has just been one thing after another. Whether I've said it specifically or not, the pattern is there. And we'll continue to see this pattern for some time because we're going to continue in this series for a while, a little while. Anyway, uh, this morning, if you'll open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 3. Uh, I know some of y'all are probably thinking, when are we going to get to the burning bush? Well, today's the day. We're going to get there. Um, I know, because when you think about God encounters, you can't help but to think about the burning bush and Moses at the burning bush and how God encountered him uh, in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, now, let, let me say this, because I want to um, give a little recap here of the context here, because we, we're kind of jumping in uh, to a few verses here in chapter 3 and 4, but let me just kind of give you a context here before we get into these Seven realities of experiencing God. Uh, just a little recap here. Uh, in, cha in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Um, now let's, uh, what, what I want to kind of share with you is that Moses, if you remember, uh, was born in a time when they were already in Egypt. The Hebrew people had been led there uh, under Joseph's leadership. Uh, they, they were blessed. I mean, God blessed Joseph. And you remember he rose to really second in command of that whole nation down there. Uh, there was a great famine that created that hole. Again, preparation. God brought them down there. God blessed them incredibly. Well, that leadership passed away. And new leadership came into being in Egypt that didn't remember Joseph nor anything else. And they looked around one day and said, man, there's a whole lot of Hebrew people around here. In fact, you go back to chapter 1 uh, real quickly in verse 6 and 7. Well, that, that's, I just told you that. They became in, in numerous. Uh, go, go to verses 8. Uh, a new king rose up uh, that did not know Joseph, came into power. He said, look at all these people. They've become much too numerous for us. And so, so in their leadership, they decided in verse 10, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And war breaks out, they might join our enemies and they might leave the country. So in verse 11, <clears throat> the leadership there in Egypt decided, hey, let's put uh, slave masters over them. Let's oppress them. 
Let's force them into labor. I mean, that's basically what happens. Uh, and as a result of that, I mean, they became an, a very oppressed people. For many, many years, they were oppressed by the Egyptians, and they lived under that state in, in that environment for many, many years. Not only uh, did the leadership uh, was concerned about the numerous, how many people were there, but then all of a sudden uh, in verse, uh, let's look here in verse 16, uh, talk, well, let me back up verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, uh, he said, okay, here it is in verse 16. When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth, observe them. If it is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let him live. So now, <clears throat> now he's not only saying there's a lot of people, let's oppress them, put them in slavery, let's keep them pushed down because we're a little concerned about them. Now he's saying, I'm going to restrict their ability to continue to grow as a, as a, as a people. And he puts in this law, and of course the midwives honor the Lord and not the, the which again, we see God's remnant. We God see working in the midst of this, even in the leadership in Joseph's life. And we see, even in this context, how Moses comes along in chapter 2. Uh, the, the Bible says a, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and they gave birth. And you know the story uh, here. In fact, uh, we don't have time this morning but it'd be worth you reading. Go to Acts chapter 7 sometime and look at Stephen's message before the Sanhedrin. Because he's called to a given account. Stephen's been doing ministry and all of a sudden he begins, he, he's called before the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, the nation, the leadership there. And he basically comes back. And I've got to give him kudos. He basically quotes this entire passage. The, all, he, he gives them a history lesson as he rolls through the message on that day, kind of put on the spot. The Lord leads him in that. And he, get, and he, and he verbatim talks about the oppression. He talks about Moses uh, as being a child, a, a special child in one sense. And you know the story, uh, Mama. And, and this, this happened. In other words, there were some families that would put their babies out. And this is unfortunate in that state of oppression because the law said, if you gonna, we're going to get rid of these boys. And so she puts them in a basket and puts him out there in the river. Now, the Lord helped her on that day and said, because she, she noticed um, uh, Pharaoh's daughter had come down there to bathe and she kind of probably knew that and there was a pattern and a ritual there so she turned the boy loose and she sees it, has pity on him you understand that and she takes that little boy in not only that, but her, his mom, real mom nurses him, right? at a certain amount of time she hands him off to Pharaoh's daughter and Moses grows up basically in the palace a privileged life I mean, his people are still being oppressed in fact, um uh, you, 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 in verse 11 in chapter 2, it says one day after Moses had grown up, when you go to Stephen's account of this in Acts chapter 7, he says it's about 40 years later. In fact, the Bible says 40 years later. So Moses had grew, to, grew up in a, in a place of affluence, even though his people are being oppressed. Now, you got, you got to understand, Moses not only grew up in that palace with all the learned skills and everything uh, as a privileged child of Pharaoh, daughter, uh, in that sense, but he also grew up understanding uh, the Hebrew people's way of life and the Lord in which they serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You'll see that clearly here. Uh, so one day, you know the story in chapter 2, uh, verse 11. Uh, one day Moses had grown up. He's about 40 years old at this time, and he went out, and uh, he saw again the people that were being in, in, in hard labor, being dealt shrewdly with, being oppressed. I mean, it's just a bad situation. He saw an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew, <clears throat> One of his own. And glancing down here, you, I, mean, I love the scripture. I, I mean, when you read through this, we don't have time this morning. Read through it on your own. It is beautiful. Because, I mean, here's, here we see in, in Moses, he's trying to figure out the will of the Lord. And in his mind, he looked, glancing this way and that way, seeing no one, he strikes him down. He kills the Egyptian. That's pretty drastic. 
He's taking matters in his own hands. In his mind, I guess he thought, well, this is the day. This is how we're going to begin it. And he might have even sensed in his heart that God was going to use him. Maybe he grew up hearing that. Maybe he even heard and believed that God was going to deliver him. Maybe he thought this was the way it was going to happen. I don't know. You can ask him one day. We can ask him have a conversation with Moses. I don't know. But we do know that he killed the Egyptian. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. I mean, they're having a family quarrel. They're tied up. He breaks them up. I'm like, what are y'all doing? Basically, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Why are you doing this? Then, then, then here's what happens, verse 14. Who made you ruler and judge over us? That's what they said to him. Like, who do you think you are? Then they say, then they say this. Um, are you thinking of killing me as you killed that Egyptian the other day? And all of a sudden, Moses gets real nervous now because he thought nobody knows about this. Now, word's getting out. Now, he's like, he's scared to death. So what does he do? He takes off like any great leader. He runs away. That's what he does. I'm, I'm out of here. Boom. And he takes off. Probably doesn't even have a clue where he's going. I mean, you can see in the story, just, he runs out in the desert. He runs out in the desert. I don't know. Maybe he's just going out there to die somewhere. He doesn't know what to do. But it's out there in the desert. You know the whole story. Uh, he meets uh, uh, the priest of Midian, uh, his Daughters are out there tending, and he comes out and helps them, runs off some folks, whatever. He ends up getting married into the family. And he's out there. <clears throat> now, in verse chapter 3, verse 1, we're back to, to, to where I started. Jo, uh, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, priest of Midian. And, and at this time, he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. We've already seen the mountain of God several times in these encounters, a special place where God reveals himself. And so it's in this place that God reveals himself in the burning bush to Moses. Now, first thing I want to say to you is, I'm, I'm, I've got it, it's up here on the screen, thank you. Um, Jason's back there, I think, or, or Scott, somebody's working it back there. Who's working it? You are, there you go. So hang with me best you can. I know it may get a little bumpy as we go down this road this morning. Well, let me, let me say this. There's a, there's a man, uh, Henry Blackerby. I think I've mentioned uh, the Bible study, Experiencing God. Back in 1990, he, uh, and, by, and by the way, Henry had been teaching and preaching this for many years in his life and ministry. And then, and then the Lord led him to put this little Bible study together called Experiencing God Bible Study, knowing and doing the will of God. And out of that came these seven realities that I'm going to share with you this morning. So, so as we go through, if you, if you take notes, whatever, there's going to be seven what he would call realities, you're going to see them. And I, and I come to this, and I bring it out here because he would, he would share this story. If we do the Bible study together one day, he's going to share this because it really illustrates these principles. It's not, it's not just found here in this passage of Scripture, but it's really illustrated very well for us to understand how God works among his people to, do, to, to, to be led to a place to do his will, not our will. And, and how do we experience God in that way? How do we know and do the will of God? And it's just real clear here in this in this story, this passage of Scripture. So the first thing is this. And, and if you're making notes, here it is. God is always at work around you and me. He is always. And the emphasis is on the word always. Because there are times we don't feel like God's at work. I would imagine if we interviewed the Hebrew people during this tenure of oppression, and they said, hey, do you see God at work? They would have said, no, not anywhere. Yet God is at work among His people. Uh, in fact, in chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, as God reveals himself to Moses in the bush, 
They're having this conversation. The Lord said, here it is, verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I, the Lord, have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of this land into a land that is good and spacious, land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord has saw, the Lord has heard, and now the Lord has come down to deliver his people. It is about the Lord. Let me remind you, God is always at work around me and you. Now, now some of y'all are going, yeah, I know, but that's Moses. No, no. Listen, just a few weeks ago in Bible study, I mean Bible school, vacation Bible school, I don't know how many of you came to that. I'm not going to get you to start singing the songs, doing the hand motions, but you probably could, couldn't you? I know you Rayleigh's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Y'all remember the theme verse? <clears throat> now I'm putting somebody on the spot here. Y'all remember the theme, what was that theme verse for uh, Bible study? Anybody remember it? I'm putting some, I'm putting, there's like deafness right here. It's like, do you, do you remember it? Who, somebody, did somebody lift your hand? Is that what happened? That, that happened. Do you remember it? What was, the, what was the theme verse? I got to come on over here. Give me some of that, my man. Bam! That's awesome. I don't know if you heard him, Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. We, we, the people of God, are, are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, if the verse ended there, it's a good verse. But we would spend our life trying to figure out what works God wants us to do. In fact, I can, I can tell, I've, lived, I've lived long enough as a believer, I, I can dream with the best of them. I can look around and figure something. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm a doer by nature. I don't know if there's any doers in the house. I get a little bored if I'm sitting still. My family will think I'm a little weird. I can't just sit still and just sit there long. i got to get up and do something. When you apply that to your spirituality, it looks really good at one time because you're a worker bee. You're going. You're doing. You see a need, going to meet it. Boom, 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 boom. We're running. But the bigger question is this, because at the end of the verse, and you just said it, these works are not just something I dream up. The Bible says God prepared these works in advance. Blow your mind a little bit. Before you even born. God prepared the work that you're in the midst of right now in your life. Long before you ever came on this planet. It's his work in our lives that is the focus here of this scripture. Right? Now I'm going to go all the way back to Moses. God is always at work around us. Now. I'm going to throw out some little things here to you. I hope you catch some of them. Because early on in my life, I began to say, Well, Lord, how do I know you're at work? Where are you at work? I mean, I wanted to know. Honestly, I want to know. God, where are you at work? Let me just share this with you. People don't ask questions about spiritual matters unless God is at work in their lives. When you see someone seeking God, asking questions about Christianity, you're witnessing God at work in their lives lie. Let me put it this way. Some of you may relate. You walk into somebody's office this week and their Bible's open on their desk. The Lord is at work in their life. If you see a little devotional over here on the side, it's got a little Bible verse. If you go somewhere and all of a sudden you see a poster hanging up and you know that's Micah 6, 8 verse. God's at work in a person's life. Um, 
somebody asks you uh, questions about um, how can I have peace in the midst of my storm, my struggle, God's at work in their life. If someone says to you, you know, I've been thinking about going to church, God's at work in their life. I've never met a single person who didn't think about these things. And, and in the background, God has been working in that person's heart and mind. Now, there's many other ways, but I just want to remind us today. So when we, this week, see someone, hear someone, see someone, or in a situation, just be aware, God is at work always, always, always around me and you. This is a premise. This is a foundational principle. If we're, in other words, if I'm going to really experience the living Lord in my life today, I've got to really believe God is very much alive and very much present with me right now. As you live your life, God is with you every step of the way. If I really believe that, then I will begin to see God at work all around me uh, in, in, in the little things. Don't, don't just, you know, look, this is a big thing. Don't get me wrong. Moses is being invited to do a big thing, and we've celebrated this, and we can go all the way to the Passover of the, of the, of, of the Lamb of God that was slain on the cross during the Passover. And we see the picture of redemption in here, rightly so. And it's a big deal. Don't get me wrong. But God doesn't always call us to the big deal. In fact, I can be honest with you, if you're not faithful with the small deals and the small things that God asks you to do, you're probably never going to get that big deal. You'll be waiting all your life, waiting for a big deal. And he's saying, I just want you to be faithful with the little things that I ask you to do. Pray for somebody. Just be kind to a person who's hurting. I could go on and on and on. All right. The main thing is God is always at work. That's a, that's a big deal. Number two is this. God pursues a continuing relationship with us, with me and you, that is real and it's personal. So in this text, we see uh, when God... Back up, back up with me in verse uh, 4. Well, let me back up because it's good. Verse 2, uh, it, it, he, he took the, the, the flock to hoard the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, which may have not been uncommon in the heat, dry, arid place, fires breaking out, but all of a sudden, he looks over here, and that bush is burning, but it never stops burning. That's the unusual thing going on. And Moses thought, I love it. Hey, let me go over here and see this strange sight. Let me see what's going on over here. So he walks over there, and it's out of this fire, this flame, God calls to him. And he calls him by name, Moses. Now, you can say, well, yeah, his name's Moses, but let me remind us, God calls me and you by name. He knows you. He loves you personally. Friend, we don't serve some generic God. He is a personal God and personally loves you. Even if you don't feel like it. Even if you don't think He even cares about your name. He knows your name. This is foundational. So He calls out to Moses. Moses says, here I am. He said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. Place your standings. Holy ground. He reveals himself to him in verse 6. I am. I am. Boy, that's a strong statement. He later on, he'll, we'll get to I am who I am. I am. I am. I am. I am. Present and alive. I am. I'm not the God who's dead or over the li I am God who is alive today. I am. And he reminds you, I'm the God who? I'm a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, I am alive and well, and I am very present, and I'm a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. He reveals himself personally to Moses. 
And I would submit to you, he reveals himself personally to us as well. In fact, we don't have time this morning. Matthew chapter 22, if you want to go over there at some point. Jesus quotes this very verse when some Pharisees are trying to trick him on some stuff. And he's like, no, no, let me. And, and he quotes this and it speaks very specifically what he, in fact, he says, God is not the God of the dead, but God of the living. When he says, I am, he means I am even so right now, the God of Abraham. Hallelujah. Isaac, Jacob, you with me? It's not past, dead people. I am very present, very much, very real. And yes, even here with you, Moses, I am. Um, Blackaby makes this statement. He says, when Jesus said eternal life is knowing God, right? We, you've heard that. Including God the Son. We know that to know Jesus is to know life, to know eternal life. He did not mean that eternal life is knowing about God. He was not referring to someone who has read many books attended numerous seminars about God, he was talking about a first-hand experiential knowledge. We come to truly know God as we experience Him in and around our lives. Many people have grown up attending church, hearing all about God in their lives. But they don't have a personal, dynamic, growing relationship with the Lord. They never hear His voice. They have no idea what God's will is. They don't encounter His love firsthand. They have no sense of divine purpose for their lives. They may know a lot about God, but they don't really know Him. I'm not trying to play semantics, but you... Listen, I didn't grow up in church. If you'd have seen me at 18 years old, I was a heathen of heathens. Ain't no doubt about that. You looked at me, there'd been no doubt. You said that boy's lost. Clear as a bell. Thanks be to God, Mr. Bearden, on one day, I'll show you how God just so personally loves you. His Bible study teacher encouraged them to share the gospel once that month. I just showed up on that Sunday. Now, he might have looked at me and said, that boy's lost, he needs Jesus. I'm going to share it. He may have. When I talked to him some 20 years later, to him, it was, he, he, he doesn't even remember the moment. To me, it changed my life forevermore. Because the first time in my life, what, 19 years, the first time in my life I ever heard the gospel. First time ever. I don't mean I, I, don't mean I had been preached to all my life the first time I heard it. I mean first time ever. I grew up down the road over here in Shelby County. Churches all around me. I had people on the baseball team, went to church all the time. First time in my life, I was already graduated high school, I was down to junior college. First time ever to hear the gospel. I didn't debate it. I didn't wonder, is God really real? It's just connected with me at a very personal level. I knew, I knew, I knew I needed this Lord Jesus Christ. And the only one way to do that was through a personal, intimate relationship where I repented of my sin and trusted him personally as my Lord and Savior. It is, it is just John 3.16. Now, that being said, I've been around church. My, my children, bless their hearts, they keep me straight. I told you, I think I said last Sunday I'm 53. Not quite. It's coming up. It's bad. You get to that point where you forget how old you are. I don't know. Whatever. I do have a birthday coming up. Praise the Lord for that. Um, I've been around church long enough, uh, and I've met, I've met a lot of people that love coming to church. 
And, uh, and that's a beautiful thing. Listen, in fact, in fact, black people would say this. Please hear this. Baptism, worship attendance, church involvement are all appropriate and obedient responses to a relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. However, however, baptism, worship attendance, church involvement do not create or replace a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. It's personal. It is personal. God personally invites Moses, personally encounters Moses in this moment. Number three, God invites me and you to become involved with Him in His work. Let's go back to the passage here with Moses, right? Uh, I just read to you how God, uh, just a little while ago in verse 7, the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out because of slavery, and I'm concerned. And then he says, I've come down to do this. I can only imagine if Moses, when he heard this for the first time, he probably was resonating with a, yeah, oh yeah, here we go. That's awesome. That's awesome. Then he says this in verse 10. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. We're going to see in just a moment. He was in love with the idea that God was about to deliver his people. Not so much that God was going to send him. God invites me and you to become involved in his work. He says it emphatically, so now go. That's emphatic. I'm sending you, he says to Moses. And, and I love this. I am. The great I am is sending you Moses. Let me remind us. Let me remind us. I know you know this. The great I am said this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am, hallelujah, the great I am is going to be with you always to the very end of the age. He hadn't changed one bit. Hadn't changed one bit. The same I am is there. The same I am is here today. He not only calls us to salvation, but He commissions us to be involved in His work and, and, and His revelation in this moment. And in this moment was the opportunity, the invitation for Moses to join him in what he was about to do in this place. And let, let, me, let me pause for just a minute. Let me say that again. When you see God at work this week, that's your invitation. I'll, I'll even help you a little more than that. When you see God at work this week, it's going to be odd. I promise you. I hope, I pray every single one of us here sees God at work. It may be a phone call. It may be at the gas station. It may be at the grocery store. It may be at the softball field. It may be when school gets back and going. I mean, whatever happens in your world, I pray we all see it. But when you see God at work and you, it's your invitation. You don't have to pause right there and say, let me pray about it for 30 minutes. It's your invitation to get involved, to do what God's inviting you to do in that moment. And so same thing here with Moses. The sense of urgency, he says, so now go. Now, the fourth thing is this. God speaks by His Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal Himself, His purposes, and His ways. We see all of this in Moses' encounter at the burning bush. God speaks. We see that. We, we see it in the Scriptures. We hear that. Uh, to what? He revealed Himself as the great I Am. He revealed His purposes of deliverance and His way in which He's going to do it. He is very clear to Moses what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Moses didn't have to leave that little time of encounter and go dream it up. 
In fact, the greatest thing Moses had to do was just keep on listening to the Lord as he walked in this moment of deliverance. Having an ear listening to the Lord was the greatest thing that Moses had to learn how to do. Um, again, let me, let me say that. I'm, I'm stating the obvious. Um, Henry Blackaby makes this statement. If there's anything clear from reading the Bible, the fact is this. God speaks to his people. He speaks. At the beginning... We find him speaking to Adam and Eve in the garden. He conversed with Abraham, the other patriarchs. He spoke to judges, kings, prophets. God was in Christ. Jesus speaking to the disciples. God communicated with the early church. And as the Bible record comes to a close, at the end of the Bible, we call it Revelation, God spoke to John on the Isle of Patmos. God speaks to his people. You can anticipate that he will communicate with you also. God speaks, God speaks, God speaks. Now here's the challenge. Here's where I want to sit here just for a few minutes. Because the fifth thing I want to share with you is this. God's invitation for you to join Him in that work always leads to what Blackaby would say, a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Look here with me. Go back to, go back to the passage in chapter 3. He just told him, Moses what he was about to do. He says, now I'm going to send you. Things turn a little bit. I love this portion of the Scripture. I hope you have time to go back and read it. I really love it because it speaks to the graciousness of God, the kindness of God, the patience of God, even in calling and inviting His people to join Him in what He's going to do. You, sense, you get a sense of the sense of urgency, of the awareness of that. But, but look at this in verse 11. The very th first thing that comes out of Moses' mouth unto the Lord when he says, I'm going to send you. Now, 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 he's not seen him speak out of a burning bush, y'all. He's hearing him speak in this voice. He knows it's of the Lord. It's the God I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And here he's commissioning him. He says, I want you to go. First thing that comes out of his mouth, verse 11. Moses said unto the Lord, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. You begin to sense Moses' insecurities welling up within him. Now, again, he doesn't go into great detail what those are, but I can only imagine. What did he try? He just killed a man in Egypt. Now, the Lord told him, all them people, that they don't forgot about you. They're all dead. That's what he told them a little bit later on. That helps bring comfort. But you can, oh my, listen, there's a reason why Moses ran to the desert. He ran away from his, what the Lord had called him to. He ran away from that, thinking, I, I'm done. He thought, I'm done. There's no hope. The Lord will never use me. And in his brain, I can just imagine what's going through Moses' mind. So now God reveals, God says, you go. And the first thing that comes out, he says, who am I? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know what I didn't do? I know you, I took matters of my own on him. I mean, you can just imagine. And not just the Lord, but what about the people? The people he left, he deserted them. He left them there to just be an oppressed people. He, he ran away from them. What do they think of him? Those that remember him. And let me remind us. Stephen helps us with this. He's 80 years old. When God calls him to go. Let that sink in a minute. He's 80 years old. When the Lord says I'm going to call you. To lead my people. 
Lord, I don't work like I used to. You know what I'm saying? I don't have the energy that I used to. I don't get around like I used to. Listen, when you come face to face with the Lord and he begins to invite you to join him, there's all kinds of stuff going to well up in our hearts. The one thing I love about this passage, God doesn't just blow him up in this moment and say, oh, you're horrible. He works with him, right? That's the same thing with me and you. When God begins to lead us, you're gonna, things are going to rise up. Same thing in Moses' life. So he, he, what, what does he do? In this moment, we see uh, Moses' insecurities. And what does God do? He, in verse 12 of that same chapter, he, he, he says this, um, I will be with you. As he began to say, uh, who am I? I can't do this. They think this. He said, no, no, no. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Can I just remind you? I just read it out of Matthew 28. It's the same commission for us today. I'm going to meddle a little bit. I know. Do y'all remember the last time you tried to lead somebody to Jesus Christ? Now, being a family member, that could be tough. I'm going to be honest. Talking to my daddy about Jesus was rough. On my end and his end because he didn't want nothing to be a part of it. And it was because I wanted him to come to Christ so bad. And I thought, I'm going to say something wrong. I'm going to get it wrong. There was nerves. There was anxiety. There was stress. And it, was, and it didn't go well. I'm going to be honest. First time I can remember it on the back porch of his house, it, went, it was horrible. I left there crying, thinking, oh, man, I'm just, I'm horrible. I ain't no, did, 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 whatever. Um, if you choose to be used of the Lord, you're going to have all this stuff well up inside of you. That's normal. That's why I'm so grateful this is in the Bible. This is Moses. We kind of lift him up a little bit. This is Moses. This is the same with me and you. I guarantee you we're going to struggle. We're going to have those things come up. But the same promise that he made to Moses says to us as well, I'm with you. Then he goes on in verse 13. Moses doesn't stop there, but then he says, well, what if they ask me uh, your name? And all of a sudden, in other words, Moses starts bringing up all these questions. What if this? What if this happened? What if they ask me your name? What am I going to tell them? And the good news, God tells him. He says, well, look, verse 14. He says, tell him, I am who I am. I am very present. I'm with you. I'm the same. And then he goes on. He says, tell him, tell him it's uh, uh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am has come. And so I love this. Every question he has, God responds. He goes on to say, uh, in, ver- in chapter 4, verse 1, I love this one. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? They didn't listen the first time Moses tried to help them. So he's saying, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen? I love it in verse 2. Y'all got to see this. God provides him a staff. It comforts him a little bit. It's a little scary at first. I don't know if you remember this part of the story. It's It's hilarious. The Lord tells him to throw it on the ground and it turns into a snake. Me and Moses don't like snakes. He ran from it, the Bible says. Can, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'm laughing at this point on the inside because he's taking off. He's like, oh my goodness, there's a snake. It's, hey, the same thing if I walked outside, ain't no doubt. If I, I'm running. I'm going to squirrel like, like a girl and I'm gone. I don't like them. And he, neither did he. But I want you to see this. He's, he's saying, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen? All these questions, all these insecurities, all this stuff comes up. And he says, well, here, Moses, I'm going to give you this staff. And then he begins to lead him through all these things. And he basically is saying, I'm going to be with you, but I'm going to show myself strong through you. So I love the graciousness of God. He comforts us. Right? Sometimes God will give us a word. God will give us something. God will give us a friend. God will help us in certain ways and whatever it may be. 
Then he goes on in verse 14. Doesn't even stop there. Let, let, um, let me back up. Uh, let me back up. Here we go. Verse 10. Go back to verse 10. After all of this, Moses said, you know, Lord, here, listen to this. He goes, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I mean, you really hear his insecurities are coming out. He's like, God, you want me to go tell Pharaoh something, but I, I, can't even, I can't even hardly talk. I can't get my words out. I mean, the thought of me going to Pharaoh scared me to death. They tell me public speaking is one of the greatest fears that you'll ever have. If I asked one of y'all to come up right now and just show you something, you'd be like, I see it in your eyes right there. Thank you. I know. It freaks us out. Moses is no different. He gets all sideways over this situation. Now, God, even in his graciousness, in verse 14, what does he do? Even in the midst of this, now he gets a little frustrated. I'm not going to lie. He gets frustrated with Moses. You can see that. But he provides what? Aaron, his brother. And in fact, the Lord says the very said, but he can speak pretty good. Let's use him. It's just interesting how the Lord in this, this journey that they're on together in this moment. Because I will tell you, anytime God reveals his will for you, for me, for us as a fellowship, you will always be led to a crisis belief. In other words, did God really tell us to do that? Is God really able to meet that need in our life? Personally, as a family, as a fellowship, I mean, because you're going to hit that point. Now, let me, let me, let me, let me. I just want to share this story real quick. I'm, I promise, I'm going to try to be as quick as I can. When Paul and I first got married, we're celebrating 30 years this year. By the way, I just want to praise the Lord. For, amen. Go ahead, Fleming. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'll, thank you, Jesus. She stayed with me all this time. When we first got married, we met a guy. I was down at Saint Elmo, a little bit of old church outside of Mobile. And we had a, a Johnny Tucker come. He's an evangelist down there in Centronale. I don't know if you ever met Johnny Tucker, but anyway, he, uh, he came and he shared. Uh, he had always gone to the Philippines, always gone to the Philippines. And I'm just a young boy. We had just gotten married and, um, what, 22, 23 years old? 22 years old at the time. About to, about to turn 20. Anyway, so uh, he shares about going to the Philippines. Now, I'd never been out of, out of, you know, I don't even think I'd really been on an airplane much at that time in my life. And, uh, and I remember him sharing during the revival service. And I answered that call. And I went home and told Paul. I said, Paul, I've I got to go to the Philippines. I didn't even know where the Philippines was. It was a long ways from here. I knew that. So I go back to that revival service on that Wednesday night. It's closing out. It's a Wednesday night. And I, and I submitted. I went down to the altar. And I, said, and I told Brother John, I said, Brother John, I believe God's calling me to go. Calling me to go. Now, Paula made it real clear she wasn't called to go. I mean, that's what she made. <laughs> but let me encourage you. It was some weeks later God got hold of her, and we both went. That's another whole story. For, we ain't got time this morning. I'm trying to keep it short. I'm trying to keep it short. But don't miss this, because it leads you to a crisis belief. Now, some of y'all might think, well, that's a big deal. And it was a big deal in my world, because we're dirt poor. Now, we, love, we got a whole lot of love. We're loving each other, but we ain't got a whole lot of money in our world. And it was a, it was a lot of money to go to the Philippines. It was like $2,500 for that trip at that time, right? A lot of money for me back in 19, whatever it was. Um, I went forward that Wednesday night. That Wednesday night, Johnny and his wife, Judy, were going to take us out to eat. They had, the Lord had already led them to take us out to eat because they knew we needed something good to eat. So they took us out after the service and they fed us. But then Johnny says, he pulls out the envelope from that week's revival service. And he, uh, he said, J.J., the Lord has laid this on my heart. You need to have this. 
I'm so thankful for the people of God listening to the heart of God because God meets needs amongst his people. When he reached out, I mean, it was a lot of money. And he shared, he was going to, and I said, Brother Johnny, put that towards the mission trip. Now, he, he backed up on me. He said, no, 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 you need to eat. You need to have it. And finally, Miss Judy got hold of him and said, look, Johnny, God laid you to give it to him. But now God wants him to use that because God's calling him to go to the Philippines. You, you see how God meets needs? So there's a crisis of belief. It's going to happen. It'll happen here today. So we see this illustrated. All right. Number six, you must make major adjustments in your life to do what God is doing in his leadership. Now, I'm just real quickly, you know this. You know the story. Moses, in chapter 4, verse 18, goes back to Jethro and tells him, i got to go check on my people and see if they're still alive. He wishes them well. He loads up his family on a donkey and takes off. That's a major adjustment. I would submit to all of us this week, if you're going to be involved in what God wants you to do, if you see that young man, ask that question. You're going to have to adjust your life, your schedule, to be on time with what God wants to do in that moment. It's the same principle. The last thing is this. We come to know God by experience as we obey Him. And He accomplishes His work through us, His people. Come on up, Gavin. Come on. I know. I know. I'm running a little behind. All right, so... Let me say that again. You come, we come to know God intimately and personally as we're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ by experience. We experience the Lord. What do you mean? As we obey Him, as we listen to Him, as we respond to His leadership. And, and not just that, but as God leads us to do what He's already at work doing and begins to accomplish through us His work. It's not us dreaming it up, but it's God working through us. And when God begins to work through us, it is, it's, it's just amazing and life-changing, very humbling that God would use someone like me and you. Like he says this, anyone who enters into an intimate relationship with the Lord can see God do exceptional things through his or her life. Please hear that, church. Please hear that. There's some of you I know a little bit. Some of you I don't know hardly at all. But I want you to know this. That if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's all you need. And I mean that sincerely. But you are a person that God can use mightily right now, right here, in this community, in your world, right now. The outcome does not depend on your giftedness. Some of y'all are gifted in so many ways, but it's not depending on that. It's not depending on your education. Some of y'all are extremely smart. Nothing wrong with that, but it's not depending on that. Some of y'all are extremely wealthy, and this doesn't depend on that. The key, the key, the key to all of this is what? The indwelling presence of God working in us and through us. The greatest thing we can do is to listen, to hear from the Lord, to see where God is already at work and join Him in it. Father, right now as we come to this time, I, I pray, Lord Jesus, I ask specifically, God speak to our hearts this week. As we walk through this thing called life, we would see you at work and join you.
God, let us be just an instrument in your hand. Let us be a conduit between your grace and your goodness to someone who needs it. God, I ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. If you will, just stand with me this morning, if you will. They're going to lead us in a song of response this morning. As we sing, as we sing, friend, if you're here and you need to make public your profession of faith in Christ, then we invite you to come. But as you sing, just respond to the Lord. You respond to the Lord.